Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV. This is episode number 553. And this week, we are going to be talking about not necessarily cryptocurrency, but the underlying technology called blockchain. Now, the questions have been coming in since we've been talking about cryptocurrency lately. What is this blockchain, and does it only do cryptocurrency, or are there other things that it's capable of? We've got a guest on tonight who's going to be sharing with us a lot of great information. Stick around. You're going to be learning off of him tonight. We'll be right back. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Live recordings are trusted only to solid-state drives by Kingston Technology. Revive your computer with improved performance and reliability over traditional hard drives with Kingston SSDs. Category 5 TV streams live with Telestream Wirecast and Nimble Streamer. Tune in every week on Roku, Kodi, Plex, and other HLS video players. For local showtimes, visit Category5.tv. Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN. And the International Association of Internet Broadcasters. Cat5.tv slash IAIB. I'm Robbie. It's so good to have you here over on the desk over there. I got Jeff Weston. Hey. And Sasha Rickman. Hi. How are yous? We're good. And you? Good, good. I have to do that right off the top because I don't want people thinking that I'm here all by myself because tonight we've actually got an, a, an amazing interview. And we set up like this when we do interviews because of the, the way that our sets are all. So I've got everything ready to go. Jonathan is standing by from X Block, and you don't want to miss the interview tonight. But before we get into it, first of all, Category 5 apparel is available. You can get a really nice T-shirt that has the Category 5 Technology TV logo. You can head on over to cat5.tv slash shirts for that and it's a cool way to support the show but also to adorn yourself in some very attractive attire and show off that you love Category 5 TV. Incidentally, Sasha, I think that they should send us a picture Pictures. of themselves wearing exactly. the t-shirt. Exactly. So get your shirts and then email contest at category5.tv and well, let us know where you're watching from, how you're watching, who you're watching with, who you are. Let us know anything really that you would like to let us know in your new gear. And you could win a Dead Effect 2 VR. So VR, though. Nobody they, likes VR, do they, Sasha? I'll live in VR now. Do you know? So could you join me? Just email the contest, get the game. It will be so much fun to play Gotta with do you. It. Yes. Starts Become my a, friend on Steam. It starts with a t-shirt. It starts with a t-shirt. Exactly. I don't think that those, uh, those things are... You don't have to have a t-shirt to win. But just no, but it helps. But get a t-shirt because then we will look at you if, and say, wow, that is one good-looking viewer. I will tell Let's you, give them I have a too. tiny bit of pull. I feel like if you buy the t-shirt and you post a picture of yourself wearing the t-shirt when you do email... I will make you a winner. I will make it happen. You <laughs> no, you will, will already game. you will already be a winner. Sasha will just give you your prize. <laughs> uh, so I feel like you're rigging the contest. Absolutely. All right. Slightly. We have that power. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, going on to more legit things instead of a rigged contest, you can also check out Category Five on Google Play. So, or sorry, Google Play Music. Yes. So you want to go to category5.tv slash subscribe. 
I'm a gig, big Google Play music fan. So when uh, Robbie announced this on the show yeah. know, a month, month and a half ago, I was freaking out. Ever since they like, started yeah, doing nice. podcasts, it's like, okay, why weren't they always doing podcasts? But it makes sense. It absolutely makes yeah. sense to the so platform. Subscribe and hang out and listen. It's good mm. times. Sasha, you've been spending a lot of time in virtual reality over the past little while because, you know, we went and built this crazy gaming rig. You can find out more about it, cat5.tv slash CPU2017. It happened at the end of last year. We built this gaming rig, and then Sasha and Dave decided, hey, we've got this great rig. Let's buy a Vive. This? And uh, you've been enjoying it? Okay, so I blame, I, I blame Cat5 for this. Completely, the fact that I have a vibe, I'm and by so I blame. sorry, I know. Yeah, we'll so remember, I did, that. I did a news, I did a news story a few weeks back on the Vive Pro. <laughs> Well, you got to get be- your headset first, right? Because right now the brand new Vive Pro is compatible. Your system is uh, with a 1070 GTX is like the ideal system right. for this VR, and it's the best virtual reality experience that you can get right now. Right. So you don't have to upgrade anything. It's ready. I just get the headset. You just get the headset. Now, if you wait another two years, obviously your hardware is going to become the minimum at that point. Okay. So if you buy it at the same level, then it just ages at the same level. Like you're not going to be... Yeah. Yeah. Ish? Yeah. Okay. I I have to get myself a headset now. You just got to get the VR headset. I can do that. Start um, saving. Christmas is coming. How much is that? <laughs> <laughs> They're like 800 bucks or something, I think. Mm. Canadian, I'm not too sure. Mm. Well, but it, um, it's necessary. <laughs> <laughs> she just said an HTC <laughs> Vive Pro is necessary. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it was a news story and she just couldn't. Let it down. And then I'm reading all these specs on the Vive Pro. And then I was like, well, I have, I don't have a Vive Pro. Um, I should backtrack. But I have a Vive. And I love it. I didn't even know how amazing it would be until I did the story. And then I started Googling and doing some research. And within like 48 hours, I had ordered it. Love it so much. I am a great head. I have like 100% accuracy with headshots. So here's the question. (laughs) What's a better reality, real or virtual? Virtual. This is why I want all of the viewers to get yourself, um, you know, a VR, build yourself a really cool computer. You can use your category five, five friends to find out all of the best deals. There you go. <laughs> and then well, get a VR headset. Well, yours is still very relevant, too. Yours yeah. is still very I relevant. Yeah. So, I mean, check out the, the link. Now, exactly. Build it. Obviously, Join me. You've got time now to yeah. do VR because you used to go home and you just plop down on the couch and start working on your phone because Facebook was just taking up all your time. And then what happened? I quit Facebook. You quit Facebook. I quit it. And again, something that happened on the show, we started talking about quitting Facebook and then she went and did it. Isn't that crazy? It's um, true. So how's that been for you? When did you quit Facebook? When She's still on Messenger, Jeff. I'm so we still get the private messages. Okay, so who was posting your statuses yesterday? Nobody. You're, Come on You're now. being that guy. Come on now. <laughs> okay. I am so thinking about 
opening of a, a Sasha Rickman. I know, right? Uh, you not so do I. It. Don't do it. I have don't tons do of photos. I've had the intervalometer going tonight, <laughs> so I actually have about 4,000 photos of you. So one of them is your new profile <laughs> oh, shot. Yeah. Perfect. No, it's been going really, really well. I have a lot of extra free time. I haven't been missing Facebook. I do have a follow-up that we won't cover today, but I do have a follow-up question because I'd also like to delete Instagram, but I can't back up my data. There's not, a, there's not an Instagram. On Instagram? Yeah. There must be. There isn't. We I, need to find out if there is a third-party tool that uses the API to yeah. download your Instagram stuff. Then I would like to delete that because I find I don't need Facebook, so I also don't need Instagram. That's do, how I feel. Do you find that being <laughs> off the Facebooks that your social connections have changed at all? Enhanced completely. Enhanced? Enhanced completely. It was recently my birthday and a handful of people, a handful wished me happy birthday. But these were people who I know did not get a notification to wish me a happy birthday. Sasha, I'm just going to tell you that there were posts on Facebook wishing you a happy birthday. Oh, were there? From viewers. And we got them. And I'll just tell you that right now there were viewers telling you happy birthday. I just felt like, I just, everything felt so much more authentic. I didn't wish you a happy birthday. I wasn't given an alert. See, that's the thing. Because <laughs> you deleted I rely your account so too far alert. in advance. You should have waited until after your birthday. And then you would have gotten a message from Jeff. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, I just don't know. But, but also, like my friends who have uh, amazing, adorable kittens, they always were posting pictures of their cats. Well, I was... I was seeing too much, not too much. I love them. But the other day I went through a bunch of like in-person pictures and they could see my actual responses because they were showing them to me. It's like something Ah, different that you don't even realize that you miss anymore, but it's like the in-person contact of things. My wife Becca did photo books the other day. And so we're enjoying that same kind of thing where I'm sitting there and, you know, like, oh, I remember that. And it's like, you don't get that from Bookface nearly as, as much. So... I'm glad it's working out for you. Uh, how do viewers interact with you now? YouTube? Like, because you used to sometimes comment on their comments on the Facebook page and things like that. I know. So it's cool for viewers to get to know the real Sasha Rickman. So how do they do that now? I, we're going to have to figure out a we're way. We're going to have to figure it away. And really, I ought to get back to the blog. To the blog. I do have to do that so that people can really know my thoughts and feelings on things at random. <laughs> <laughs> and then also I should like I, I do sometimes check the YouTube feed for comments but I'm not mm. spectacular at it so I need to figure out a way to do okay. that okay. as well set, uh, make sure you subscribe to us and set notifications so that you get the notifications when we post stuff and then check for comments every day every <laughs> single day uh, and we appreciate your comments on YouTube we've got to take a really quick break when we come back uh, we are going to be speaking with Jonathan Baha'i he comes to us from EXE Block or X Block uh, Um, And uh, when we are talking with him, we're going to be learning all about the blockchain, how it can be used outside of cryptocurrency. This is something I really want to know, and I know you do too. Uh, It's something, it's like a buzzword. And when there is a buzzword like this, is the blockchain the real deal? Is it going to go by the wayside, or is it going to revolutionize our world? Stick around. We're going to find out what a pro has to say about that. Don't go anywhere.
For a limited time, get your hands on limited edition shirts from the Category 5 TV network. These high-quality shirts are manufactured by Teespring, a fundraising website, and your purchase will help support the shows we produce. Get yours today and send us your pictures to be featured on the corresponding show. Visit cat5.tv slash shirts to support us and get your official network shirt today. cat5.tv slash shirts. Welcome back. This is Category 5 Technology TV, and tonight I am joined by Jonathan Baha'i. Jonathan, thank you so much for being here with us tonight. It's great to be here. Thank you. Jonathan is uh, the founder of EXE Block, and, uh, and it is something that we've been talking about on the show because we see these comments on YouTube, we get these emails from our viewers asking about things like cryptocurrency and the blockchain. So we've been talking a little bit about the blockchain and cryptocurrency, but I am by no means um, a, a professional when it comes to these topics. So the best thing for me to do to answer your questions is to bring on professionals uh, who are uh, way more versed at, uh, at these complicated topics than I am, and that's where Jonathan comes in. So Jonathan, it's great to have you here. Can you explain to us a little bit about your history on how you got involved in this blockchain technology? Sure. Uh, actually, it has a little bit to do with why I am broadcasting from this particular location. Uh, back in 2012, I acquired a 64,000 square foot nuclear bunker uh, located in Nova Scotia, Canada. It was one of the original Cold War bunkers that was created by the uh, government of Canada back in the day. Uh, they're referred to as Diefen bunkers. And so uh, I was lucky enough to be able to acquire this one. And uh, back then I was in the uh, data center business. So uh, I looked at this as an infrastructure type of place which had unique cooling capabilities. And back in 2009 is when Bitcoin started. And around that time, I was already interested in blockchain. And I started to look at the possibility of being able to use this facility for mining Bitcoin. So uh, as I explored that possibility, uh, I realized that there was a lot of issues that surrounded Bitcoin itself in regards to how it works, uh, the risks involved in mining. Uh, I really couldn't bring myself to uh, get into that kind of risk, I guess. Mm. Uh, but my interest in blockchain continued uh, to explore the space. And that's when I started to discover other types of projects that were out there. And the project that I gravitated towards most was called BitShares. Uh, BitShares is a decentralized exchange. It's actually a blockchain which offers uh, exchange functions. And so back then, this was about 2013, 2014, uh, I started getting very heavily involved in that particular blockchain. And that's where uh, all my understanding of blockchain uh, came from, the technology. Uh, it's very different from how Bitcoin works. Mm. Uh, back then, I became what's called a, a witness. Uh, that's basically a node operator, similar to miners. But the actual computing requirements are, are very are very different. It's much more efficient, doesn't take a lot of power, actually uses the same kind of hardware that my server farm was made of. Uh, so it was very easy for me to be able to make that move. And of course, I gained support uh, from the stakeholders uh, because that system works on a voting mechanism rather than working on uh, proof of work like Bitcoin, where you just throw as much computing power as you can at the network and yeah. you hopefully get a share of it. 
the type of network, the type of consensus that uh, that network works by is called delegated proof of stake, which means that everybody who has a stake in the network votes for who is going to secure the network. So you have to be able to prove your trustworthiness, your uh, technical prowess in order to gain the support of everybody who are stakeholders in the network. So uh, I was able to do that. Uh, and uh, over the years, I, of course, uh, went on to uh, get involved in the launching of Steam, which is another blockchain, uh, which actually is focused on being able to provide content. Uh, it's almost like a type of a Reddit. Uh, but the difference is, is that when you share your content on that blockchain, the blockchain actually pays you for sharing that blockchain, for, for being able to share the content. So when you say uh, Steam, this is not related to the gaming platform? This is something entirely different, just same name? as. Yeah, so it's spelled S-T-E-E-M. So oh, yeah. it's short for Steam. Uh, so okay. uh, the if you go to steamit.com, you'll be able to see it. And that particular blockchain uh, basically flipped the whole model of uh, content on its side because what happens is that you're able to produce content and actually be paid based on its popularity from the blockchain itself. And so over the years, that has gained momentum. These two blockchains alone that I just mentioned, which I was involved in over the years, now account for 60% of all the blockchain activity taking place in the world today. Okay. So um, you take a look at Ethereum, it accounts for approximately maybe 30%, the entire network. Mm -hmm. uh, and you look at Bitcoin, it's maybe 10%. Really? And then everything else is just, you know, a little sliver is the rest of everything else that's out there. <laughs> so let's back up a little bit. You Are you underground? Yes. Uh, so this facility is oh. approximately uh, goes 40 feet underground. Uh, it's cool. uh, it's quite large. Uh, this particular space we're in now is actually my office, uh, but uh, there's many different facets to this uh, facility. So this Very is cool. where we develop from the X Block team. Yeah. Uh, this is also where um, continuing my story into blockchain. Uh, after Steam, I actually went on to actually create uh, my own blockchain, and it's called Pure Plays. Okay. So. Uh, with that, I use the same type of technology which was behind those other two I just mentioned. And what what PeerPlays does is it's dedicated to provably fair gaming. Uh, what that does is, is it solves the problems that exist today in regards to the gaming industry uh, with being able to provide uh, proof of all the transactions that take place in an audit trail. And I, so, I, I want to come, I want to talk about this whole, like how the industry is using the blockchain. But before we jump too far ahead here, Jonathan, um, sure. we're, you're talking about the blockchain and how this is impact, like how this is like create an entire business for you. Um, can we just, if we could just break for a moment and just say, let's talk lay terms here. What, in your words, would you consider is the blockchain? Like, can we just break it down real quick before we start getting into the the, the uses for it? Sure. So, you know, a lot of people talk about the various things that make up a blockchain. I like to break it down into just four simple things. Okay. okay. Uh, if you have these four simple things, you have a decentralized public blockchain. All right. Number one, you have to have a consensus mechanism. So I mentioned earlier proof of work, I mentioned delegated proof of stake. So what that means is that there's a consensus mechanism in order to determine how the consensus of the blockchain is going to be determined, all right? Uh, there's different ways of doing this, but proof of work and proof of stake are generally the most used. 
And then you have number two, you have an incentive structure of some kind. Uh, we know in Bitcoin, for example, the incentive structure for miners is that they want to be able to mine on Bitcoin because they're going to receive Bitcoin for providing that computing power. So okay. there has to be some kind of incentive structure that aligns the interests of the people who maintain the blockchain uh, with, keeping, with maintaining it and being able to make it so that it's actually decentralized. Mm -hmm. Third thing is to have some kind of a ledger. Uh, every single blockchain has a ledger. We know it as a distributed ledger. And all that really is is that it's, there's copies of the ledger that are replicated and duplicated all across uh, the various op op node operators that are, that are uh, all over the world. And then fourth, you have some kind of smart contract. So in the case of cryptocurrencies, for example, Bitcoin smart contract is providing a token, of, is providing a coin. Right. Uh, in Ethereum, there's all kinds of different applications that are being created with smart contracts that are programmable to do various things. Mm -hmm. uh, for BitShares that I just talked about, its smart contract is a series of operations to, to provide a decentralized exchange. So it's able to provide multiple tokens. It's able to provide exchange functions. So cool. as long as you have some kind of smart contract system, which simply broken down is if this, then that then you have, all, with all these four elements, you have a decentralized blockchain. Now, there are ways to be able to create a blockchain without these four elements, but what you have then is something that's quite different. Uh, just think of it like baking a cake. Uh, so I <laughs> that I can relate to. <laughs> so, that's a little simpler. This is because you know this is the simplified version. It's no wonder that the blockchain is so confusing to so many. Like this is. I can't imagine how much you've had to immerse yourself in this technology. Yeah, well, it's it took me, I'll, I'll admit, when I first got involved, I, it took me a long time to really grasp uh, how things worked and, and what it all meant. Uh, it's, not, it's not easy to be able to shift your way of thinking to be able to really comprehend it all. But when you have these four things, uh, they really make up what, what is the magic, which is really the disruption uh, opportunity of blockchain. But when you try to take away certain things, you're able to create something that isn't blockchain. Uh, it's almost like imagining, like I said, you bake a cake. Let's just take away the eggs, <laughs> right? Okay. And you might okay. have, you might come up with something. And if you've never had cake before, you might think you're eating cake, but you're not eating cake. A right. vegan egg substitute. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So um, a lot of people are out there. Um, they're creating variations of uh, what blockchain technology has to offer. Okay. And it doesn't really offer, it really doesn't do what the promise of blockchain uh, has with it. You have to have all the ingredients in it in order for it to work. Okay. Can we can we talk about, now I got a uh, message on YouTube from Circuit Man. And Circuit Man has some very valid questions, points that I'd like to share with you um, and, and just kind of get your opinion and, and uh, your expertise on these points. So if I may, Circuit Man uh, says, so I can see blockchain solving some complex issues going forward. I don't think it's changing our daily life as we know it in any dramatic way. Since everyone will have their own blockchain, you will still have to trust that blockchain for the piece of fruit, for example, um, put out by the company that sells that fruit. So I just don't see how it would be any more trustworthy than just looking at, say, a label today. 
I also see crypto coins as being a sort of a fad. Until I can pay my mortgage or car payment with it, I can't take it too seriously as a currency. I can I can correct. Uh, pardon me. I was correct about the stock market and the housing bubble, and I'm pretty sure I'm right about this. Not one country is behind cryptocurrency, and unless a big country gets behind it or all the banks behind it, um, then it is going no place. And I'm more convinced of this today than ever. I could be wrong. However, I don't believe I am. Time will tell. One final thought from Circuit Man. One of the biggest problems we're facing today is no one stops and says, just because we can do a thing, should we? I see so many things being developed today that would be best left on a drawing board. As a human species, we really need to take a few steps back and look at what's being done and say, is it really a good idea, ethically, morally? We won't because people get excited by the tech and can't see past the cool factor and that's really a shame. Now that comes to us from Circuit Man, and we're speaking with uh, with Jonathan Bahai. He's the founder of X Block. And uh, Jonathan, your comments um, to to uh, Circuit Man. It's a lot of comments there. Uh, I'll do my best to address them all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so in the beginning, he starts to talk about how everybody's going to have blockchains. Uh, this is an interesting. Uh, uh, presupposition about where the future is going and how uh, blockchain tech would be used. Uh, what he's referring to really is what's called a private blockchain. And as I talked about earlier in regards to when you bake a cake and you take out the eggs, uh, that is an example of something where uh, the tech is being used in a way that really doesn't provide any good benefits. Mm. Um, you end up really with a pretty fancy and actually inefficient database uh, that doesn't uh, really have any magic to it other than being able to say, guess what, we're using blockchain, right? And right. so a lot of companies uh, are, are doing this. In some cases, it works well in regards to being able to track uh, inventory or being able okay. to track uh, supply chains. But uh, what he's referring to are what are basically private blockchains. So would, would like the Whopper coin fall into that category, for example, from Burger King? Is that the idea behind that? <laughs> That's a, that's a pretty good example of a okay. hyped up uh, uh, type of a project. Uh, there, I don't really think there's a need for a Whopper coin, uh, but I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> it, it makes it well. If it, if they want to have their own um, uh, rewards program, like almost sure. like Air Miles, yeah, uh, it certainly serves that function. And the great thing about it is that you don't have to worry about them taking away your points because it's all cryptographically secured in your wallet, right? Oh, so, okay. There is one benefit. There is that. Yep, there is that. <laughs> and we've seen that where um, benefit programs where, you know, I've bought so many coffees at a certain coffee shop and all of a sudden they decide, oh, we're going to switch our benefit program and you've just lost all of your all of your free coffees. So yeah. that, that would be a thing of the past, at least in this case? Yeah, it's a small thing. And I don't think that's going to change our lives um, as uh, Skidman is referring to. <laughs> uh, but uh, I don't think that we're going to see pri private blockchains like he's referring to as the future where everybody's going to have blockchains. Okay. What we're going to see into the future really is public decentralized blockchains because, again, that's where all the magic comes from. That's why everyone's so excited because it creates a system where everybody is accountable and it's not put all into the hands of a single, uh, a single counterparty, uh, which is how all of our systems up until today have been based. Uh, we've always had some kind of a middleman, per se, yeah. uh, or an escrow uh, who was granted a, a government. 
What was that? Or a government. Or a government, <laughs> yes. Uh, and so with that, uh, that's, that's how all our systems have been designed. Uh, from the 1960s all the way up until now, all the technological advancements we've made in computing have been around being able to advance current computer processes or, or, or current business processes. How do we make this cheaper, better, faster? Uh, but today with blockchain, that just turns it upside down because it doesn't even pay attention to those processes. Instead, we're talking about being able to do things peer to peer. Uh, we're talking about being able to have a bottom up approach where all the people who are part of the blockchain are actually deciding the direction in which things are going to go. So uh, like I talked about with BitShares and Steam, where people are able to vote um, the voting the voting system allows for people to actually participate as part of the blockchain and being able to direct its its direction. So, um, okay. in, in that regards, I don't see how private blockchains are really going to have a future other than being able to work uh, so alongside with public blockchains. So, in his in his example, there would have to be some kind of a third party validator of those other blockchains that would validate the transactions taking place and validating that information in which case yes you can trust it because it's actually being validated by multiple parties okay. instead of just the company itself so it, it, it sounds like the evolution of the blockchain technology itself and the way that it is <clears throat> I hate to use the word controlled because the whole idea is of decentralization is that it's not controlled by any one entity but there is a certain level of control over hey we're we're following a blockchain that is a public blockchain and is trusted is that, uh, am I following you right on that? Yeah, I mean, basically, when it comes to blockchain, I mean, what, and the excitement about it is that it's the capability of being able to transact value uh, rather than uh, transacting copies. The entire right. internet right now today, whenever you're sending information or you're sending images or you're sending anything, you're sending copies of everything. You're not, there's no originals, right? Uh, you're gonna see the fabric of how the entire internet communication system actually changes uh, as the foundation of that protocol actually switches over to a blockchain type protocol. When that happens, you're going to see uh, everything switch over to a type of an edge security. So instead of having these giant centralized databases all over the world, which are being hacked all the time, and they're going to be hacked eventually, all that security gets pushed to the edge of the network and becomes decentralized, okay. in which case it becomes a much harder target to be able to hack. Everybody talks about how Bitcoin has never been hacked. It's because of the architecture and how it works. Same thing with a lot of other, other blockchains that are out there. Mm -hmm. Any of the hacking stories they've heard about in relation to blockchain have been largely the centralized exchanges. Uh, oh, and those are because they okay. are modeled around the typical type of computing systems that we have today. And you're just creating a target. Yeah. Okay. Now, I, I hope that we've uh, touched on Circuit Man's um, questions and comments um, quite well. Um, and I think some of the conversation um, after our break is going to kind of circle back and, and help um, answer some of those questions as well. Before we do take a, a break, we've got a real quick question in the chat room as well. Um, over at the chat room, Jeff? Uh, yeah, actually. So the, the question is, you, you were just talking about public trust. Um, with decentralized blockchain. And so when you're looking at things like what's recently gone on with Facebook, where there's possible regulatory oversight that's, that now could be coming in place because of the issues with the data breach on, on Facebook, how do you deal with that from the blockchain standpoint 
if the governments start to say this is getting out of control, we want to put regulatory oversight on that. Are, do those two concepts conflict, or is there an ability to merge um, the interests on both sides? Hmm. So uh, what's happening with Facebook uh, is largely because, uh, as I referred to just earlier, the massive amount of data which they are in control of. Uh, they are able to determine, based on their policies, uh, how they're going to handle your data. In a blockchain world, there would be nobody who is handling your data. You would be in complete control of your data. Uh, you'd be able to determine what kind of privacy and privileges uh, would be uh, granted to anybody or any, any one entity to be able to access that information and then be able to deny access to that information. Uh, the whole market, which the internet largely is based on today of being able to sell people's information is going to dwindle. Uh, you're going to see where, again, it's, it's completely peer-to-peer, -peer, so you don't have any one entity that's controlling it. Governments, in terms of regula regulation, haven't been able to catch up with what's happening with the blockchain right now. Countries are just starting to form some opinions around it, but I believe it would be in the best interest of governments to understand that blockchains are actually self-regulating entities. What that means is that because it's bottom up and because the people who participate in the blockchain are the stakeholders of the blockchain, they are gonna work in the best interests of the blockchain in order to ensure that the rights and the responsibilities of everybody that's involved are going to be protected. Otherwise, it's not going to survive. It's going to move. Uh, it's what will happen is that people will move on to the blockchain that does protect everybody. So okay. these entities, because they're able to self-regulate, it becomes something where the necessity of government oversight becomes redundant. Uh, so and it also because they're decentralized and they're all over the world, uh, it's impossible to have any one country uh, actually say something in regards to um, how things should operate. What we need to see is all the governments of the world be able to agree and then we could come up with some kind of framework. Uh, but uh, I think blockchain technology is going to go a lot faster than that happening. Hmm. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, okay, so we've got to take a really quick break. We're speaking with Jonathan Baha'i. He is the founder of XBlock, and we're speaking about the blockchain. But we're really trying to get to the gritty, uh, the the grit of what is the blockchain? How does it impact our lives, and what is going to change over the next little while? Because I'm trying to get my head around it, folks. Uh, when we come back from our break, we're going to be speaking with Jonathan about how the blockchain is being used in the world today, and what we're going to see it doing over the next little while that has nothing to do necessarily with cryptocurrency. Stick around. Whether you shop on ThinkGeek, GearBest, B&H Photo Video, eBay, or Amazon, or even if you want a free trial of Audible, you'll find the best deals and support the shows we produce by simply visiting the shopping sites you already frequent by using the links on our website. Visit Category5.tv slash partners for the full and ever-growing list and help us create more free content like this show. Thank you for shopping with our partners, and thank you for watching.
Welcome back. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Before the break, we were speaking with Jonathan Baha'i. He's the founder of XBlock, and we're speaking all about blockchain. And Jonathan, it is so nice to have you here sharing your uh, vast amounts of knowledge about the blockchain technology tonight. Thank you for being here. Thank you. All right. So before the break, we were talking about you know what the blockchain is, how it's um, kind of impacting things as far as, and even touching a little bit on cryptocurrency. But what I want to know, and what I think some of our viewers are really looking to find out, is we started this talk a couple of weeks back about what the t- the blockchain can be used for that is not cryptocurrency related. Are there things that are happening right now and that you see that are going to be happening in the near future that are going to be revolutionizing our world that utilize the blockchain technology? Absolutely. Um, Some people talk about blockchain in regards to being the next internet. Uh, Mm. Right now where blockchain technology is at, if you can think back to the early 90s when before the internet existed, there were things called BBSs. Oh, yes. Yeah, I ran one of those. Oh yeah, my (laughs) ass. So blockchain today is about is about in that space right now, where every single blockchain is like a walled off garden, similar to how BBSs were before the internet. But the capability of being able to have interchain communication or side chains that means that blockchains being able to communicate with one another is coming. Uh, this is an important step. It's difficult to. It seems like it should be a simple thing, but when you're talking, when you're trying to talk to two networks which are cryptographically secured, uh, being able to have that transmit between each other is is, is a difficult thing. So uh, that technology, though, is becoming more mature, and as you see that happen, it's going to explode the possibilities of what can of what can take place on blockchain. Uh, I mentioned earlier that uh, I was earlier involved with uh, BitShares and Steam. Mm-hmm. These projects are little known, but the fact is is that they're not cryptocurrencies. They're actually uh, services that are being built on the blockchain. They're application layer. So uh, with BitShares, you have a decentralized exchange. Uh, with Steam, you have a uh, blogging platform almost, uh, which allows you to be able to post content. Uh, so these are functions. These are actually applications. Uh, at the same time, uh, our company XBlock is in the process of building a decentralized application, uh, which is called 5050 Labs. Uh, so 5050 Labs allows you to be able to run a 5050 draw uh, entirely on the blockchain. Uh, so with that, that means that uh, somebody can create a draw. It all exists on the blockchain. People yeah. can purchase their tickets. It all exists on the blockchain. They receive their tickets in the blockchain, and then they're able to actually have the draw settled by the blockchain. So huh. this allows for being able to have no auditing. This allows for being able to have an auditing trail. It's completely transparent and it's instant, and it's able to expand worldwide. So uh, there, those are just a couple of examples of, of, of ways that it could be applied. But it's going to explode into so many other areas. The financial uh, institutions, they're looking at cryptocurrencies because that's the most obvious for being able to do transmission and things like that. Right. But when you look at um, anything that has to do with a ledger or a registry, when you think about home ownership, when you think about your insurance policies, when you think about your birth certificate, uh, when you think about uh, anything that has to do with being able to create a trail of history, uh, the blockchain becomes the most ideal solution because it's able to just continue on forever. Uh, whereas the systems that we have today are really temporary and they're able to be easily hacked or even disappear. And, and just with multiple systems everywhere, there's no one way to have 
that information accessible to everybody. And as you said, it's a copy of a copy of a copy, and you've got all these copies redundantly. Right. All over. Now, I've always pictured, Jonathan, maybe you can shed some light on this, but I've always pictured the blockchain as being just a, a pool filled with hashes. Like, the way you're describing it makes me feel like it's a, it is in and of itself a bit of a dark web or, you know, able to carry and transmit data. Um, can you explain that to me? So, yeah, it can absolutely be able to carry and transmit data. Uh, and the thing is, is that in a pool of hashes, what's happening there is that that's where you have the layer for the consensus mechanism mm -hmm. and for the uh, and for the the replication of the of the ledger, right? These are the two elements that have to do with uh, the blockchain itself. But there's a smart contract layer, right? And when you look at the smart contract capabilities, if this then that, and being able to program in all these types of uh, variations of what could happen or what you want to happen to execute, then that opens up a world of possibilities of taking anything that's on your phone today that's an application, being able to have that operate decentralized and no longer needing the operator or the company which created it dictating to you how that how that decentralized application is going to work. Hmm. Instead, the people who own it are all the people that use it. And they can actually be able to determine what kind of features and functions need to go into this to make it the best that it is. So what this does is it actually eliminates the need for any kind of competition. Because once there's an application that has lots of users using it in the blockchain space, it makes almost no sense to try to create something else. Because anything that someone else creates can easily be adopted to the existing blockchain uh, application that's that's doing the same thing and just be able to make the changes quickly with the with all the users consent uh, consensus so yeah. you're going to see a whole different way for people to participate in being able to uh, be a part of what's what's out there in services instead of this uh, company consumer type of thing it is the peer-to-peer -peer economy where everybody is working together and able to have a a piece of what's going on I, I do see that the chat room has some more questions for us. Just circling back before we get into a couple of those, um, to that Facebook question that happened just before the break, what you're describing to me sounds like, because like, we're all very concerned about our, our data's privacy and things like that. So I'm, I'm kind of grasping that the blockchain is, is going to allow for technologies to exist say like Facebook so if we can use Facebook as the example where hey it's a communication platform and has a lot of data about us but that data can be decentralized can be in a million places at once and yet only in one place only accessible in one place only authorized by you right with my private key exactly that is mind-bendingly amazing. Like, the, I know the blockchain is exciting, but the, the, like, I'm trying to get my head around this. Um, let's jump over to the chat room. Jeff, Sasha, what do you have for uh, for our guest, Jonathan, tonight? Yeah, so we have a question from the Foo, and he wants to know uh, how is tracking via the blockchain different than tracking with GPG signed messages? Hmm. I'm sorry. Can you say that again? How, how is tracking via blockchain different than tracking with GPG signed messages? So tracking via blockchain versus tracking, do you say PGP uh, G, signed messages? GB, uh, GPG. Oh, GPG. Okay, sorry. 
So uh, tracking, so that this comes back to the question of, I guess, in regards to uh, privacy, if this is the nature of the question. Yes. I, I think yeah. to do with, um, you know, and the foo, correct me if I'm wrong, but to do with um, the ability for the blockchain to be tracked, like say a monitor, you know, we think about Cambridge Analytica and being able to glean all this information. Well, what can be gleaned from the blockchain? How is it different than the other technologies that are out there that allow us to share information in an encrypted format, in a private format? So, uh, in, in terms of being able to uh, track information, blockchain is, is very elegant in regards to being able to see where everything originates. Uh, it's very, very transparent. Uh, contrary to a lot of popular belief that it's actually something that is uh, uh, anonymous per se, uh, the ability to be able to actually see everything that's going on is a large part of what makes it uh, so unique and so um, trusted by everybody. Uh, because you can, be, you can trace back uh, where, uh, in the Bitcoin example, you can trace back where Bitcoin started from, from wallet to wallet to wallet to wallet, until you can see where it actually originated. Uh, so it's really not that, uh, it's really not about being able to uh, have everything hidden, but it is about being able to be transparent uh, in, in a different way. Um, I'm not suggesting that everything that we do on the internet is going to be open to everybody, mm. but it is a different type of network where information is so accessible to everybody, it doesn't, it's no longer uh, of value to anyone. I don't know if you, that makes a lot of sense. I, I think we've we've kind of covered yeah and Jeff's given me the nod like yeah I think that, I think that that uh, answers the question. Um, does the chat room have any other questions for us tonight, Jeff? Uh, not that I'm seeing, but I had a question and, and just you were talking a little bit about uh, other areas that the blockchain would come into play, and I'm thinking uh, you know could it be used for something like you know every country has a passport and every country is able to process those passports. Could you take something like international travel and having identifiable you know details about yourself that could be into a, a blockchain could you use it in, in a capacity like that outside of a computer running algorithms or is it strictly tied to computer and technological based means so I, we're, we're talking about ID verification, and ID verification, I would say, is an important element to what is needed in the blockchain space today. Uh, you know, ID doesn't really need blockchain, but blockchain needs ID. Uh, and uh, when it comes to passports, that's an excellent example of an application which could be used for international travel. It would make it so much easier for countries around the world to be able to validate passports. The possibility of being able to have fraudulent passports becomes impossible. So the entire uh, industry of being able to have fake passports and things like that is gone. Uh, because it's all validated, it's all part of a uh, consensus network, which is uh, is true. So uh, this is going to make for international travel to be faster, more efficient, easier, uh, and also uh, overall safer. Uh, so in that instance, that is a good a good example of an application for blockchain. Once again, a registry uh, which definitely can be replaced with blockchain function. The technology is is important uh, in regards to the. 
uh, cryptographic security of being able to create the chain itself. But then you have to have the other three elements that I talked about. You have to have your consensus, you have to have your incentive structure, and you have to have uh, the smart contracts. So uh, if we can make it so that something like that existed decentralized, uh, then I guess that's where, in this case, countries issuing passports all agreeing to using a particular blockchain, uh, then we could see that happen. Cool. All I ask is 1% of the royalties if your company makes it happen. That's all I ask for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sounds good. If we can get them to agree on that, and we've got a couple of witnesses here tonight. So. Uh, we're speaking with Jonathan Baha'i. He is the founder of XBlock and specializing in the blockchain technology itself. Um, and, uh, you know, I feel like an absolute geek here tonight because this has been a lot of fun. I mean, I admit, and, and informative, and we've learned a lot tonight. Jonathan, I appreciate the time very much. Before we wrap up our interview tonight, uh, could you share with us some vision of what the future looks like based on blockchain technology? What is to come? Wow. So uh, there's going to come a day, not too, not too far in the, in the near future, uh, where you're going to find yourself uh, using your phone, uh, it's going to become more so uh, tying to biometrics that your private key is going to be tied to your own personal biometrics. And when that happens, that's going to become your uh, own ID per se. Nice. And as you, at, once that's, that's established, that, that uh, protocol for being able to establish a private key and keep it secure to your person, then you're going to start to see a big switchover of being able to have decentralized applications which are going to exist on your phone that are going to allow you to actually partake in them and be able to actually share in the revenues that are derived from them instead of just being an end consumer you're going to start to be able to participate in the building of these applications you'll be able to actually make suggestions for the way things should work and actually have them happen <laughs> wow. uh, this is going to allow for um, a lot less competition and a lot more cooperation. Uh, you're going to see a, be an ability to be able to transact worldwide in a peer-to-peer -peer fashion that has never been seen before. And with that, it's going to force these regulations and walls that have been created uh, to be able to stop the flow of uh, business or goods to be able to just flow around the world freely. It's just, it'll be like a, a tsunami uh, that the governments around the world aren't going to be able to keep up with and that the people are going to demand. Uh, I think that uh, uh, this isn't necessarily about the excitement of the tech. I think this is the excitement of being able to actually make the world a better place and being able to have a tech that enables and empowers, every, empowers everybody to be able to do that. So um, my company, XBlock, uh, we're one of the very first that are really dedicated to creating uh, the solutions that we believe are going to surround uh, that type of activity in the world. And I'm really hoping that more companies are going to see that that's where the future is and that's where they should be headed. Awesome. Uh, Jonathan, it's been great having you on the show. Check out their website. I've got it below. I mentioned it at the top of the show. Uh, it is spelled E-X-E-Block and uh, .com. And uh, check them out. Find out more. Jonathan, pleasure. And thank you so much for sharing more information uh, than I could have imagined that we could have fit into uh, this amount of time. 
Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you very much. All right, this is Category Five Technology TV. Wow, I'm just, uh, I'm just unbelievably blown away by the technology, the knowledge, the information. I personally want to rewind things and go back over this interview, and I think perhaps you at home should do the same. Um, and, and I think that this technology we're going to see is going to be something that is not just for the tech geek. This mm -hmm. is something that we're going to see breaking into the world for, for mom and dad and, and everybody else. Um, so stay tuned. We're going to be seeing that happen over the next little while. Exciting times. Sasha Rickman, how are you, my friend? I am great. Sasha, Thank you've been you. so quiet over there tonight. I know. I've just been... I've got to give you the floor. I feel like I've got to give you the floor. Is it my turn? It is my absolutely your turn. <laughs> Are you having fun? Are you learning? I am learning. Okay. I feel like the, the new kid on the block here. <laughs> I'm the new kid on the blockchain. Okay. Ah, new kid on the wow. blockchain. <laughs> wow. She coined that right here. We've got the t-shirts on sale now. <laughs> Check the <laughs> Are you ready for it? I am. Here are the stories we're covering this week in the Category 5.TV newsroom. Germany's Supreme Court has rejected a legal case that sought to stop people using the popular Adblock Plus program that removes ads from websites. A Chinese web giant has found a Windows Zero Day and is keeping the details quiet while working with Microsoft on the issue. An unpatchable vulnerability has been found in the Nintendo Switch that can be exploited to run custom code. And do you run Drupal? You need to upgrade immediately. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Weston. Yeah, man. You're building a brand new beautiful website. What? Aren't you? No. Am I? Oh, you're a terrible actor. What? This is where acting comes into play. Oh, I didn't know we were acting. You're supposed to act. Okay, fair enough. All right. yeah, I'm building a really cool website. Are you building a really cool website? Just because Jeff is confused doesn't mean you have to be. Visit cat5.tv slash dreamhost to sign up for unlimited web hosting for your website with unlimited email accounts, MySQL databases, the latest version of PHP, WordPress, and more, and even a free domain name registration. It's less than $6 per month, so sign up today. cat5.tv slash dreamhost. This is the Category5.tv newsroom, covering the week's top tech stories with a slight Linux bias. I'm Sasha Rickman, and here are the top stories we're following this week. Germany's Supreme Court has rejected a legal case that sought to stop people using the popular Adblock Plus program that removes ads from websites. The lawsuit was started three years ago by German publishing, uh, German publishing giant Axel Springer. It alleged that the way Adblo Adblock Plus stopped people seeing advertisements on its sites amounted to unfair competition. Axel Springer said that it would continue its legal challenge by taking the issue to Germany's constitutional court. The German publishing firm first complained about Adblock Plus in 2015, alleging that it broke competition laws by letting firms pay to be on a white list to stop their ads being blocked. It took the case to the Supreme Court after losing the first round of legal action in 2015. 
Other German media firms that also launched related legal actions said the simple blocking of ads was a violation of local laws designed to promote co competition. The Supreme Court disagreed with Springer's allegations and said no laws were being broken because it was up to individual users whether or not they used the software. The creators of Adblock Plus welcomed the ruling and said in a statement that it was excited that Germany's highest court upheld the right every internet citizen possesses to block unwanted advertising online. After the verdict, Klaus Hendrik Sewing, Springer's head of media law, said it, the ruling was an attack on the heart of the free media. So, is it an attack on the heart of free media? No. I don't think so at all. You don't think so? No. Nope, not no. at all. I, I think this is a great ruling, and I think it was a proper ruling. Um, now, granted, it's probably based on German law, so depending on what each country has for their own laws would dictate how the court would be able to make a determination. Mm -hmm. But I completely, 100%, stand behind Germany's Supreme Court on this, because if you, if you say legally in court you are not allowed to deny advertisements. You have just commercialized the human race. And quite frankly, that's a right that is individual. So I stand with the, the German court on this one. If I don't want to see ads, I don't want to see ads. I think that this is a, a very polarizing topic in that if you're in the free media, that you have to be able to generate revenue. So here's the right. thing. My newsstand as a newspaper used to be a physical newsstand. I used to have paper boys on the corners selling newspapers for a nickel, and that was my revenue stream. And people would buy the newspaper from the local store. Now, my revenue stream, if you will, becomes a website. And it's very competitive. It's highly competitive because everything that's on the internet is expected to be free. So if I now put advertising on my site in order to be the compensation for the distribution of my news and then you block it there's the other perspective jeff no and, and i get that perspective but here's my take on it. advertising on the internet is not like traditional advertising if you turn on the tv you get commercials you get a specific commercial that's been purchased to air at a certain time regardless of what your personal life circumstances are. You go to online advertising and it's based on the cookies and the data and the information that's shared through your internet usage. So it's not um, generic advertising, it's specific targeted advertising and that is what I think uh, acceptable to be blocked if somebody says, look, I don't want my personal data being used to uh, advertise back to me. Thank you. Leave me alone. So if that was the case, then could we not say, let's make it so that Adblock Plus, for example, in the, in the case of this story, was to give an opt-out command to the advertising that says no tracking, no tracking code, and only display generic ads. And the only thing that they're allowed to display are those generic ads that traditional media would have been purchasing, uh, would have been selling. I'd be okay with that. I would really you? would. Because then okay. it's not targeted advertising based on your individual online profile. It's generic advertising. And, you know, case in point, like with Facebook, I, I turn off all ability to read my data and give me targeted ads. Um, so now I go on Facebook and I see the ads that have no relevance to me whatsoever. 
but I appreciate that because I don't feel like I'm being uh, pigeonholed into certain products. I get a wide range of paid-for media, and I'm okay with that. Right. So that that's my take on this one. So I'm 100% okay with it. Oh, okay. Sasha, you like you prefer targeted ads? Do you I- think? prefer targeted ads I'm, I'm, I'm trying to like keep it together we had this conversation last week I really actually like that I would get recommendations based on things that I viewed yeah. I like it because it opens up a world of ideas for example like if I buy a product and there is a companion product I haven't heard of or been able to research and then I get an ad about that I appreciate it. I want yeah, something that, that protects whatever device I just bought. I have a feeling that Jeff goes into Toys R Us, buys a toy for the kids, walks up to the checkout, and they say, did you get the batteries to go with that? And he punches them in the face. <laughs> I, <laughs> I No <do>. violence. <laughs> I just I throw do. it in the air and I walk out. I do understand that like, you want your privacy to be completely honored and that makes sense to me but my heart is really with and maybe it's because i'm on this show but my heart is with the the volunteers out there who only can make money with yeah these firms aren't volunteers okay no they're they are money make okay if facebook was 100 percent volunteer we'd be having a very different discussion okay yeah facebook owns the world Mm -hmm. because of their advertising if and if and if my user data wasn't collected and stored for advertising purposes, I would be a little bit more apt to say, okay, I can I can side with the ad firms on this. Okay. But because you get that information, it's stored, you are personalized, you're categorized, you become a marketable product into yourself. There is a Jeff profile out there that people are targeting to because of what I do online. I don't want it. Mm-hmm. That's me. That's fair. Yep. A Chinese web giant has found a Windows Zero Day and is keeping the details quiet while working with Microsoft on the issue. Chinese company Quiho 360 says it has found a, zero, a Windows Zero Day in the wild, but because it has notified Microsoft, it is not telling anyone else how it works. The company announced an apt attack on the unspecified zero day of the unspecified zero day on a global scale. It called the vulnerability a double kill bug, said it exploits the latest version of Internet Explorer and applications that use the IE kernel, and added that it's being spread in Microsoft Office documents that include a malicious web page. If a victim opens the document, the post claims the malicious code will run in the background to execute the unspecified attack program. Its only illustration of the attack is in the Chinese language um, annotated image, Chinese language annotated image shown here. Microsoft would far prefer that users stopped using Internet Explorer and adopted Edge browser instead. Some users are provi- proving stubborn, however. According to net market share, IE still has a rusted, uh, rusted on 12% of the browser market. 
That is why it why last week patch last week's Patch Tuesday plugged a serious if legacy IE vulnerability CVE 2014-0322 a remote code execution bug. So only internet explorer users are at risk is that it? Yep. Yeah. Okay, and Microsoft this time wants us We'll say this time. Yeah. This time. Yes. Microsoft wants us to switch to Edge. Well, of course. With where where nobody is. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I, of course they do. I don't use Edge. I don't. I don't like Edge. I don't think people are going to use Edge. So, what's the next best? I don't know, Robbie. Can you weigh in on this? What's the next best browser to use if? <laughs> Okay, we've got Internet Explorer as the first option, Edge as the second, and her question is, what's the next best <laughs> Okay, browser? you know what I mean. What? Okay. Pretty much okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> what, is, what is the browser that isn't is apt to be exploitable in this Sure, and maybe conforms to standards and is innovative, is fast, um, is, is good on resources, those kinds of things. So obviously, you know, we're going to look at the the top two, which are Firefox and Chrome, mm -hmm. plain and simple. Now, you can get into other ones, Opera, and if you want to try out some of the obscure ones, that's fine too. But realistically, Chrome, Firefox, they're about on par, believe it or not, now, especially with Firefox um, 57, uh, which uses less memory than earlier versions of Firefox, it's faster, and even boasts that it's faster than Chrome. I don't know if that's true yet. I haven't benchmarked it myself. Um, I've had problems with Firefox in the past with memory leaks. And I don't like Firefox's approach to the app ecosystem, the, the add-on ecosystem, in that I think that any browser um, that kills off their entire developer base like they did um, is with, with Firefox 56, I think is, that's, that's just a no-no to me. I think that they really needed to work with their developers better, so that was a, a bit of a red flag. Now, both browsers are excellent. Chrome, Firefox. Sasha, can you can you imagine, you know, my first question to you is going to be do you have a Firefox phone or do you have an Android phone? I have an Android phone. You have an Android phone. Yes. So we have to just think about the fact that, okay, what one is going to work better for you, Chrome or Firefox? So if they're pretty much matched up as far as the quality of the browser goes mm -hmm. at this point, uh, which one is going to work better for you? Now, Chrome is developed by Google, the same company that manufactures your phone's operating system, Android. So part of Chrome is that you can log into your Google profile and and it gives you access to things like shared bookmarks with your phone, shared bookmarks with your other computers using Chrome. And it gives you shared access to your history and, and uh, passwords and things that you do within that um, Google ecosystem. So as an Android user, would you find benefit to the fact that you're accessing your email in the same way on multiple different platforms and you're nodding? And I think that the answer is probably, the answer is yes. in your case, would then be Chrome is probably the best browser for you. Firefox doesn't offer that same kind of functionality that is going to be tied into your phone the way that the Google browser is. Um, so that's where I would probably lean in your case. And using Chrome is safe against yeah. an attack like well, this. We have to for be smart. Now. We have to be wise. We have to always be mindful that fishers, which are folks that are out there trying to get your information, they're out there 
tricking users. They're bringing up browser windows, so web pages essentially, that look like error messages, that look like uh, a Windows error and click here to, um, to fix it or call this number to reach out to Microsoft because we've got a patch for your computer, these kinds of things. So as long as you're privy to the fact that, hey, there are web threats out there that you need to watch out for on any browser, you need to be smart about those things. And, and part of that is just knowing that you need to watch out for those things then yeah, you're safer. Now, what it boils down to here with IE is that the things that are happening do not require the user to do an idiotic thing. That's what it boils down to. So with uh, the old um, Outlook Express, if you simply touched an email that had malware on it, boom, you're infected. You didn't even have to open it. You didn't even have to click a link. It was in your system. What is it with Microsoft products? That was a Microsoft product. Now, Internet Explorer, same thing. You simply touch that link and boom, you're infected. You've got this malware, whatever the zero day is, that's the exploit. And it can get into your system if you're not patched. And they're, you know, they're, Microsoft's looking at it and saying, oh, that's an old browser. We don't support it. We don't want people using it. Do we even want to patch it? I guess we'd better. But they're not, you know, that's not the game that they're wanting to play. So yes, Chrome is going to be safer because those exploits are not a part of Chrome and the development ecosystem of Chrome and Firefox, indeed, uh, is based on a completely different model to that of Microsoft. Now, one thing that does give me pause for concern about this story is in my experience in dealing with government resources... I would say that generally governments lag behind on updating. And sure. as of a year ago, I know when I was looking at some government infrastructure uh, for a client of mine, they were using Internet Explorer because they still had Windows NT. Right. And I'm going, wow, I can't believe this is on a government computer. So if you've got government computers that potentially are still using a software, like operating systems that are just full of holes, but you're still using Internet Explorer and you haven't updated, massive, massive problems. So it would be better if just we switched to Linux. <laughs> yes. Well played. Yes. Don't say that with the fry at the end. It's not, it's not a question. It's a statement, Sasha. That's it's a right. statement. <laughs> if you wanted to go there. And I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head there, Jeff, where, you know, the government has trouble keeping up with the technology because they don't have the manpower. They don't have the resources to constantly be upgrading and, and improving things. And quite frankly, in a lot of government IT departments are folks that went to school back in the 90s and are trained based on 90s tech. And if you're running NT on your server, well, that's probably because you were educated in the 90s and haven't improved upon that education. But, but also there's the fact that some people, some companies are held back by the technologies that they've invested in. So you think about uh, an ActiveX development where they've paid tens of thousands of dollars to build on the Internet Explorer architecture a piece of software that is for their internal intranet, for example. So now 
you tell them they need to move to Chrome and they look at that $20,000 bill that they paid 10 years ago and say, oh, you know what? We're not going to do it. Yeah. Right. Yep. We're not going to rebuild our entire intranet. An unpatchable vulnerability has been found in the Nintendo Switch that can be exploited to run custom code. Security researcher Kate Temkin has released proof-of-concept code dubbed Fusée Gelée that exploits a bug in NVIDIA's Tegra chipsets to run custom code on locked-down devices. Temkin, who participates in the Nintendo Switch hacking project ReSwitched, has developed a cold boot hack for the game's console that takes advantage of an unpatchable blunder in the Tegra boot ROM. She's also working on a customized Switch firmware called Atmosphere, which can be installed via Fusée Essentially, Fusée exploits a vulnerability during a switch's startup to commandeer the gadget and execute unofficial software. This is useful for unlocking the locked-down Nintendo Switch so that homebrew games, custom firmware, and other code can be run. You'll need physical access to the hardware during power-up to perform Fusée It's not something that can be pulled off over the air. In a blog post, Outlining her findings earlier this month, Temkin explained the relevant vulnerability is the result of a coding mistake in the read-only boot ROM found in most Tegra devices. Temkin reckoned the issue is present in all Nintendo Switches. The nature of the flaw is such that it will require a hardware revision to fix. The boot ROM, which contains the programming bug, accepts minor patches in the factory but cannot be updated afterwards, according to Temkin. That means once a vulnerable machine rolls off the assembly line, the vulnerability is baked in and cannot be mitigated. Temkin says that the exploit was responsibly disclosed to and forwarded to other vendors that use Tegra embedded processors, including Nintendo. Successful exploitation compromises the processor's root of trust and provides the attacker with access to secrets burned into device fuses, as well as allowing arbitrary code execution. While such an exploit could be used for malware that compromises a user's personal data, due to the very nature of the Nintendo Switch being a gaming console, it's most likely that this will be exploited to root the device and create custom bootloaders for sideloading unofficial applications. Full details of the bug is set to be revealed on June 15, 2018, unless it is made public by others first. A parallel effort to create custom firmware for the Switch using the vulnerability or one substantially similar is underway by a group called Team Executor. This is cool. This is cool. I mean, it's unfortunate that there's a vulnerability that, you know, could allow people to completely change the way the, their Switch runs so that, you know, they don't necessarily need to be buying games from Nintendo. Right. But this is effectively jailbreaking. Right. So you can open a whole new door of exploration with your Switch. And I mean, hmm. I, I love taking tech to the next level, and I think this is kind of neat. So recently, Nintendo has released um, the Switch Labo, which I don't know yep. if you... Okay, so it's a, a bunch of different cardboard-based, you know, fun things you can do with your Switch. You can turn it into a piano or a robot or whatnot, and it really focuses on STEM, right? Yes. So, 
I love it. And then this is funny and kind of ironic because this kind of takes it to the next level, right? Yes. So you, right now, all of a sudden, you can really turn your switch into something else. Yeah. Um, it is cool to see them getting involved in the STEM movement, um, teaching kids how to build things and, and code and do all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. So I love my Switch. I have one. I love it. I use it often. Less I, I often now switch. that I have a... Yeah. Yep. Less often, often <laughs> now that I have a Vive, but that's besides the point. I use my Switch, and I wonder if it could be dual-booted. Like, if I could have my Switch mm. and then also have this alternate thing where I could turn it into something more. We'll see. I, I suppose at the end of the day, it's possible. I mean, that's where the exploit is, is in, is in the boot sequence. Mm-hmm. So if you do have a way to uh, physically get to it and, in, you know, input this code that gives you a dual startup i mean it's it's entirely possible absolutely but the one thing i was wondering though is because it's i mean because it's a physical you have to physically be there to get the the code in Mm -hmm. is this really going to be such an issue with a concern for malware i mean how many people are going to break into a home hook up to a switch put the code in now access your data on the network I have to ask, though, Sasha, how, how do you get games on the Switch? How do they end up on the Switch? I have to buy them. But like are they I go to a the disc store. or is it online? It's like a little... Um, like, like an a, SD card looking like, thing? Yeah. Do you remember the Nintendo DS? Yeah. Yep. Super DS-y like. So it's okay. like a cartridge? Yeah, tiny. Like, I'm, like when you say cartridge, it's like a thumbnail cartridge. So in that yeah, case, Jeff, could in. they not exploit a cartridge? Could they not, like, infect... Uh, a run of games, for example, and then because you turn on the switch and boom, you're infected. I suppose, if but you will, there's right? always a boot sequence before you load the game. So just uh, what if I you mean, put the game in before you boot? It isn't that how you do it. Well, yes, but you still have to boot into into the software in order to be able to read the game. So you would go. Pa- this is my my guess from what the the story is. You'd boot into the software first, then access the mm. game. It'd be no different than starting up your Raspberry Pi and then being able to access RetroPie. Mm-hmm. Just by having okay. RetroPie on there doesn't change the boot sequence unless there's a way to change the coding somehow, which I suppose is possible. But again, if it's a, if it's a, a little right. drive that you're sticking in your switch, you'd have to physically impact that drive. Now, uh, so I mean, who knows? It's possible, I guess. I mean, it's still a new exploit, but uh, it'd be interesting to see for sure. Definitely sideloading games, custom games, oh, yeah. um, indie games, being able to release games that you can play on a on a rooted switch that yeah. you can all of a sudden, hey, you know, here right. you go. Well, I mean, imagine being able to take all those ROMs you've got from, say, your RetroPie. Oh! And put and them on and the Put switch. them on your switch. Now you've got RetroPie on the go. There you go. We're getting it's into a some fun, crazy stuff here. It's now. a fun yes. console, and it can be even more fun soon. <laughs> That's the new story, <laughs> That's really. The That's the idea. <laughs> Do you run Drupal? You need to upgrade immediately as an in-the-wild exploit aims to take over your server. Attackers are mass-exploiting a recently fixed vulnerability in the Drupal content management system that allows them to take complete control of powerful website servers. At least three different attack groups are exploiting Drupalgeddon 2, the name given to an extremely critical vulnerability that Drupal maintains uh, maintainers patched in late March. 
Drupalgeddon 2 makes it easy for anyone on the internet to take complete control of vulnerable ser servers simply by accessing a URL and injecting publicly available exploit code. Exploits allow attackers to run code of their choice without having ha having to have an account of any type of on of any pardon me of any type on a vulnerable website the mass exploitation of drupal servers reminds us of the epidemic of unpatched windows servers a decade ago which gave criminal hackers access to millions of pcs the attackers would then use their widely distributed purchase to launch new instructions because web servers have significantly more computing power and internet bandwidth than a desktop computer, the new rash of servers being compromised by this exploit po poses a much greater threat to the internet. Drupal maintainers have patched the critical vulnerability in both the 7.7 and eight version families as well as the six family which maintainers stopped supporting in 2016. Administrators who have yet to install the patch should assume their systems are compromised and take immediate action to disinfect them. Scary stuff. It happens every week I feel. <laughs> Just yeah. take Drupal yeah. and insert you know, I know. Uh, anything else. WordPress. So you have to just update and like and you have to run you know your security patches and everything like you have to install them and it has to happen all the time my question is why exactly would somebody not do that i feel like wouldn't all of these news stories be gone if people just updated when they were supposed to update uh yes but that <laughs> would require the human race to not be lazy and really, that's about the only way to put it. it. For people who are going to run a server, run a website, you have to, have to be security conscious. Right. So every day you should be looking to see, is there something where my system is at risk, where my user data is at risk? I mean, Drupal is a massive platform uh, that tons and tons of websites use. And because it's so customizable, you have major company websites that are run through Drupal. Right. That's how they program it. I mean, I, I used Joomla a lot in the past. I got, kind of got out of Joomla, uh, but Drupal was the next big thing uh, that everybody was migrating over to. And once you get a Drupal site up and you have all your extensions and all that built in, it's near impossible to be able to pull away and do a whole new site. Mm -hmm. And so... People just get used to doing their thing and they go, oh, there's another update. Yeah, but I've got all these extensions and I don't know how that's going to work. Like it might nullify some of my extensions because the extensions aren't up to date. And, you know, I just, I'm not going to rock the boat. And there's this mentality of there's an update. So I'm going to wait for the next one to make sure the bugs in the new one are fixed. Bad it, idea. It seems bananas to me that that would be the line of thinking. But it is, because so many people have been burned by an update that renders a function useless. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to throw something out there just because we've got to wrap up um, the, the segment. But um, real quick, thinking back to the government office who can't keep up with the technology, <laughs> yep. you think about 
uh, Drupal and content management systems get put into place because they're cost savings. We don't have to develop the back end. We can create a content management site. Our cost goes down. Now, if our cost goes down, part of that mentality is let's keep costs down. So maintenance right. falls by the wayside and nobody is keeping active maintenance going with these websites so you know you, you see it all the time people buy these cheap websites based on a content management website service because they don't have to pay a lot of money up front but you do have to maintain it and if you don't you're going to be one of those exploited yep. thanks Ravi and big thanks to Roy W. Nash and our community of viewers for submitting stories to us this week Thanks for watching the Category5.tv newsroom. Don't forget to like and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias. And for more free content, be sure to check out our website. From the Category5.tv newsroom, I'm Sasha Rickman. Thank you, Sasha. I'm Robbie Ferguson. And for the record, you were operating the teleprompter tonight, my friend. I was. <laughs> that was my fault. <laughs> and this is the part I should have memorized. See, see? I really ought to have that memorized. I know my name. I know, right? That's I know. The end it's of the, so funny. The end of the I'm segment. like, where are the words? Oh, I'll no. press the button. Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's sitting there at I'm. I don't know what to say. I, I'm <laughs> it's, it's like a real life Ron Burgundy. <laughs> I love lamp. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you just read what's on the screen. And if there's three extra spaces it's like oh there we go i know are you both going to be here next week that's the ultimate question are you both going to be here next week i for sure will i'm planning on it oh Yay. boy because next week we're going to be looking at a real life robot oh we're going to be coding on a raspberry pi to the Obot. You don't want to miss it. Uh, we've got this thing. We're going to be showing it off here on the show, and we're going to be teaching you how it works. Great STEM stuff, ways to teach kids science, technolo uh, technology, engineering, and mathematics, and we're going to be learning to code a robot. It's going to be a lot of fun. And thank you to you two for, uh, for all your hard work tonight. Thanks to our guest, uh, Jonathan, who was here from X-Block. And make sure you check out that interview. Go back, watch it 10 times, get it through, because there was a lot of great information there. Uh, and if you've got questions about cryptocurrency about the blockchain uh, we're not becoming a blockchain show don't worry but we do want to uh, bring the viewers what they want so get your questions in like submit them to us on YouTube or via our website it's a great way to get those questions in and as I say I'm deferring to people who know a lot more about it than I do so I think that's the way to do it all right have a wonderful week looking forward to seeing you next week good night <laughs>